This episode contains a graphic scene of gore and mutilation. Parental discretion is advised. You're listening to the second and final part of Unexplained, Season 6, Episode 26, Under the Rocks and Stones. With many on the island, united in grief over Reverend Lee's death, and only just beginning to process it, something far more disturbing was about to come to light. In the locality of Lake Capel, about a mile southwest of the newly discovered dolmen, just off the Lake Canus Road, it had just gone 9am on the morning of Sunday, November 10th, 1912, when a Mrs. Olivier looked out of her kitchen window toward the home of her neighbour opposite, John Robert, and noticed something unusual. The 63-year-old Robert was known to be a man of regular habits, and being a farmer was a committed early riser. That morning, however, come 9am, Mr. Robert's curtains had yet to open. Mr. Gabriel Another of Robert's neighbours had also noticed this unusual occurrence and after waiting another hour and a half with still no sign of movement from Robert's house he went over to investigate. To get to the front door it was first necessary to walk through a small greenhouse that had been built onto the side of the property which was always locked when Robert was home. That morning, however, the door was open With all about seeming unusually still, Mr. Gabriel pushed at the greenhouse door. It opened with a loud metallic creak, and Gabriel stepped forward into the space beyond. He was just about to call through for Mr. Robert when the words caught in his throat. Splayed out below him, on the floor of the greenhouse, was Robert, lying face down, in a thick puddle of darkening blood. There was blood sprayed across the wall and the window above him too, and from what Gabriel could make out from the mess of Robert's head, the entire back of it had been smashed open. At 12.30, Constables Robillard and Ogier from the Guernsey Police arrived, accompanied by a Dr. Joseph, to analyse the scene. Judging by the extensive damage to the back of Robert's head, Joseph had little doubting the man was dead as he made the regulation check of his pulse before formally announcing it. Then he turned the body over and gasped in horror. Five strange wounds had been inflicted on the head, two substantial holes at the front, penetrating deep into Robert's skull, one each at the top and side, and another on the back. Robert had been wearing a peaked cap at the time of the assault. It had been carried out with such ferocity that whatever had caused the wounds had driven the material deep inside his skull. His head had also been beaten with significant force numerous times, long after he was already dead. 
The police made a cursory search of the property, but found no sign of a murder weapon, or any evidence even, of an intruder. With Mr. Robert being a man of such regular habits, it was a fairly easy task to piece together his last known movements. As he had done every Saturday night, since as far back as anyone could remember, Robert had spent the evening before at the home of his cousin, Nicholas Robert, about a ten-minute walk away. Nicholas, who had a solid alibi for the evening, stated that the deceased had left him completely sober around 8.30pm. Assuming that he walked straight home, the police and Dr. Joseph estimated the attack to have taken place sometime around 9pm. The following Monday, after an official inquiry was opened into the cause of Mr. Robert's death, his body was taken to the mortuary at Town Hospital in St. Peter Port, where it was viewed by members of the Royal Court. At 1.30pm, John Robert's remains were placed in a polished pine coffin and taken by hearse to his home, where it was received by friends and family before being taken on to St. Sampson's Church on Guernsey's east coast. An hour later, the hundred mourners gathered there, many still in shock, watched on solemnly as Mr. Robert's body was committed to the earth. Over the next few days, police continued to make inquiries, but had little to show for their efforts. John Robert was not known to have any enemies, and with no witnesses to the crime, and no significant evidence or motive to work with, the police were at a loss to explain the shocking murder. Their best guess was that Mr. Robert had entered his greenhouse freely, and made it as far as the windowsill beside his front door, where he was known to keep his key, before the assailant, who they believed had likely been hiding in a small utility space to the right side of the greenhouse, attacked him. To some, the likely identity of the attacker was obvious. On November 16th, an editorial column in the Guernsey Star, titled Petit Causere, confidently voiced this opinion, pointing the finger at an all-too-often supposed bogeyman, stating that, a few years ago, a burglary in the island was almost undreamed of, and to this day, many people are most casual on the subject of locking up at night. Yet nowadays, seldom a month passes, but we see that some house, or shed, or store has been broken into. It is rather deplorable, and one would be glad to know the reason for this falling off in public morals, though it seems to me that as long as the dregs of the Breton population continue to drift this way, and French peasants of the lowest class are allowed to herd in our mist, we cannot expect to maintain our high standard. Others, however, as reports regarding the excavation of the dolmen in Lille, continued to crop up in the news, began to wonder if something a little less tangible and far more disturbing was responsible. On that same November 16th, the police at St. Helier in Jersey received a telegram from the constable of St. Sampson in Guernsey 
requesting that they arrest a man who was heading their way on the latest ferry in connection with the John Robert murder. A short time later, a small team of Jersey officers watched on from St. Helier Harbour as passengers disembarked from the Guernsey ferry and quickly spotted the man who Guernsey police had described to them. The man who arrived with his wife was at a loss to explain why he'd been suspected of the crime and after a few hours of questioning, he was eventually let go. A wire back to the St. Sampson's constable explained that the man's answers had all been satisfactory and there was no reason to suspect that he was the murderer. The following week, a reward of £100, about £13,000 in today's money, was put up for any information leading to the capture of the killer, who, much to the horror of the Guernsey community, was still presumed to be at large on the island. John Roberts' inquest, which concluded on November 23rd, offered little comfort, having failed to establish anything the police didn't already know. And soon, the rumours began to grow that something ominous and strange was happening to the island. On the evening of Friday, November 29th, Charles Drouet, who also lived in Lake Appel, like John Robert, was walking La Route de Coutanchet when two men were said to have sprung out in the darkness from behind a gate and knocked him violently to the floor before running away. No reason for the attack was ever established. That same night, the young son of Margaret Letissier was woken by a strange sound coming from outside his bedroom window in Cornet Street, St. Peter Port. Opening the curtain, he was confused to see his mother underneath the moonlight, stumbling around on the roof outside. His confusion turned to horror when she then suddenly fell from the roof and crashed through a skylight into the family's backyard. Mrs. Letissier was found to have broken her neck from the fall and likely died instantly. The abundance of bizarre and horrifying incidences taking place so close together left many in no doubt that the recent uncovering of the prehistoric gravesite in Lille had unleashed a malignant curse on the island that was terrorizing the local community and in some cases, seemed to be possessing people to do malevolent things. Could the spirits of those once buried there, they wondered, be seeking some kind of retribution for the disturbance of their final resting place? It later came out that only a few weeks before, Margaret Letissier had been found in a state of distress by her children, having apparently just seen the ghost of her husband William sat at the foot of her bed. The man had been dead for five years, having hung himself in the wash house, close to where Margaret's own body was later found, all of which seemed only to amplify the growing sense of dread that some kind of unknowable darkness seemed to have the island in its grip. Now a word from our sponsor, 
BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life, but when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easy to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just fill out a brief survey and get matched with a therapist today, and you can switch therapists anytime, if you so wish. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com unexplained10 today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P slash unexplained10. For those of a less superstitious nature, disregarding all the other unsettling events, there still remained the very real issue that John Roberts' murderer, regardless of whether they were human or not, was very much still at large. With many of the island's country roads and streets yet to have lighting installed, many became too frightened to leave the house at night, Doors and windows that had once nonchalantly been left open were kept firmly shut and locked, with many people who lived alone choosing to stay with friends or family for added security. And still, the seemingly random acts of violence continued. On the evening of Friday, November 30th, Mr. Green from St. Andrews was knocked down and stunned in the Talbot Valley. The following morning, a Mr. Neville was attacked shortly after leaving his home in Long Cress and had two pounds stolen in the process. The following week, a Mrs. D. Garris was walking with her daughter along Bourbony Road just south of Lillet when a figure sprung from the shadow of a tree. The figure attacked her with a stick and tried to make off with her bag. The woman screamed, attracting the attention of men in a nearby farm, and the attacker dashed off into the night. Digaris collapsed from shock when she and her daughter finally made it home to safety. A little later that night, two miles away in Castell, a Mr. Mashon was woken by his daughter after she'd heard suspicious noises coming from their back garden. Much like everyone else, Mashon had found it hard to ignore all the talk of a wave of terror that was said to be sweeping the north of the island and had taken to sleeping with a loaded rifle by his bed. That night, he leapt up, grabbed the gun and dashed downstairs. He opened the back door and without even looking, fired a warning shot into the darkness. After waiting a few minutes, having heard nothing untoward, he quietly closed the door and went back to bed. It was early in January the following year that two previously unreported clues regarding the ongoing investigation into the murder of John Robert were remarked upon in the Guernsey Star under the heading Strange Rumours. One was the discovery of a rope 
found at the murder scene, tucked underneath the deceased's mattress. The discovery had caused quite a stir at the time, but was later discarded as having no relevance to the crime. The second regarded a letter, written in French and by an unknown hand, which arrived at Mr. Roberts' house shortly after he was killed. Any suspicions that it was written by someone involved in his death was soon dismissed, however, when it was found to have simply been delivered to the wrong address. All in all, by the end of January 1913, Guernsey police had made no further headway in solving the mystery. However, on January 29th, another mystery was picked up by the Guernsey Star concerning the unknown whereabouts of Guernsey resident Clifford Nicole. The news was buried in the back pages, just below an article regarding yet another bicyclist thrown headfirst from their bike. Under the heading, The Missing Man, the paper reported that Nicole had seemingly completely vanished and had been missing from the island for the best part of a week. And still, the peculiar events continued. One young man, while walking up the Rohay on the outskirts of St. Peter Port late one night, became suddenly aware of another presence watching him from the other side of the street. As the man continued up the road, he noticed the figure slip from out of the shadows and begin to follow him. The young man continued along Victoria Road until he became suddenly spooked again and turned to find the man behind him once again, watching him from a little further down the road. Having been spotted, the stranger, who was described as being powerfully built, quickly pulled his cap down over his eyes and scurried back off into the shadows. Just to add a further bizarre spin to proceedings, in early February, the people of Guernsey were alarmed to see a mysterious airship flying over the island. The vessel, which was said to be carrying brilliant lights, was thought to be the same as that which had been seen skirting the coastline of the United Kingdom only weeks before. Though some ridiculed the reports, others speculated that the craft could well be the German airship known as the Hansa. A portent, perhaps, along with everything else that had happened, of the all-too-earthly events of the First World War, which would soon ravage the continent. It was around the same time, as if things hadn't been bad enough on the island, that something else mysterious began to reveal itself. Beginning with a fever, cough and sore throat, the symptoms of diphtheria can develop quickly and drastically. Before long, the bacteria that caused the infection can destroy healthy tissue in the respiratory system and create a membrane of dead tissue that can make it difficult to breathe. In previous outbreaks of the disease, as many as 10% of those infected had died, and by the end of February, Guernsey was hit by an island-wide outbreak. It was made all the worse by the significant number of residents who decided not to seek treatment against the disease on account of their beliefs and superstitions, leading one local doctor to remark, it is still believed in Guernsey 
that the consequences of diseases like diphtheria and scarlet fever are due to witchcraft or the opening up of dolmen, against which it is useless to fight. With so many affected by the outbreak, people steadily began to forget about the peculiar spate of violent attacks and disturbing incidents that had so preoccupied them over the last few months. And with police overstretched by the outbreak and the unusually high number of assaults that had been occurring, the investigation into John Roberts' murder eventually petered out. In early March 1913, according to writer Glynis Cooper, whose 2006 book, Foul Deeds and Suspicious Murders in Guernsey, also examines this case, the Guernsey Star reported that missing man Clifford Nicole might have simply sailed out of Guernsey without telling anyone. It isn't known if Nicole had any connection to John Robert, or if indeed his sudden disappearance was picked up on by police as possibly being related to the crime. Either way, having seemingly hit a dead end, the investigation into John Robert's murder was closed soon after. As Glynis Cooper says in her book, it was almost as though, in the end, the law preferred to allow islanders their belief that dark powers had killed Mr. Robert and that he was murdered by someone or something unknown. His death remains to this day unexplained. As for the Lele Dolman, it remains just as it was when it was uncovered, hidden away in the small, unassuming patch of ground just off the corner of Close to Sablon, for anyone wishing to take a look at it today. Now there's just one thing before I go. I don't mean to unsettle anyone, but during my research for these stories, I came across an article written by Juliette Poutot for the Guernsey Press back in September of this year, titled Secrets of Dolmen and Stone Circle Could Be Unearthed. The article concerned the Lavard Dolmen, which is situated on Longcrest Common, said to be one of Guernsey's richest archaeological sites. As the article goes on to say, Lavard was rediscovered in 1811 after centuries filled with sand and bone fragments and pottery was found with the Lucas family exploring the site in the summers of 1837-38. to Standing at the highest point of Longcress, it is one of the island's most visible dolmens, but it still holds secrets. With the site having been covered significantly by sand and vegetation since it was first uncovered, a team of archaeologists, led by Dr. Phil de Jersey, were hoping to find evidence of the stone circle that the Lucas family had previously recorded. Due to the extensive sand cover that has covered much of Longcrest Common since the 7th century, de Jersey is hopeful that there could be even more ancient relics to discover in the years to come. I don't know if the excavation went ahead as planned or not, but perhaps something to keep an eye on at least.
If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplained pod to sign up. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast.